Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that much. Exodus chapter number 14. Exodus chapter number 14. You're here today. I hope that you can say what that song just spoke of. I hope you can say it as well with your soul. I trust you have perfect peace with the God of heaven that only Jesus Christ can afford. So today, if you are not saved, if you don't have that peace, if it is not well with your soul this morning, can I encourage you, get it settled today. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you would, and then you can enjoy and experience perfect peace. Exodus chapter 14, we want to contemplate and consider for a few moments a message simply entitled, as we continue in our broader series of knowing our God, the way forward, the way forward. In Exodus chapter 14, we're going to join in with the Israelites at probably one of the most exciting times in the history of the nation. For some 430 years, they've been in Egypt. Many of those years, they've been slaves to the Egyptians and have been used and abused, and if we could put it that way. But the reality is, as we jump into this passage here in Exodus chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, and in following, everything is about to change. It's, uh, everything is going to be turned upside down, if we could put it this way. Jehovah God, their God, has now shown himself strong, sending Moses, and he's unleashed, as we know, a series of uh, miraculous plagues that are even well known today. It amazes me how many people who maybe aren't in church, don't really know the Bible, still know about Egypt and the plagues that happened there in Egypt from the um, hand of God. The ultimate one has just happened, the death of the firstborn. And, and I remind you, it wasn't just the death of the firstborn of every person or every home child. It was also the cattle. Could you imagine going out the next day and not only lamenting your child passing away, but the reality is the fields would have been filled with carcasses, dead cattle, and uh, because the firstborn of even the cattle died. Because of this and through all of these plagues, it has really reached that breaking point or shall we say the final straw for the Egyptian people. A few plagues earlier, uh, Pharaoh's advisors were telling him, you've got to let these people go. We've got to be done with this. Certainly the people were the same way. Now the final straw has been found. And as God has uh, taken out the firstborn, even Pharaoh himself, the one with the hardened heart is now allowed, has decided to allow the people to leave. The next morning, could you imagine what that would have been like across the land of Egypt? All the Egyptians were of one thought. I like the passage in Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. Here's what it says. Don't miss it. Uh, the Jew, or excuse me, as the, uh, the Egyptians after the plagues, they simply say this. If the Jews remain, if the Jews stay among us, we are all dead men. This is not going to end well. The same verse says that the people were with urgency, uh, were urgent upon the people of Israel. They sent them out with haste. And you remember what that meant. They loaded them up with jewels of silver and jewels of gold and, and great raiment and other things. And to the degree, you remember how the Bible describes it? As the Egyptians saw the Israelites leave, it says, and they spoiled the Egyptians. I love that terminology. Because let us not forget, it is the Israelites that were the slaves. It was the Israelites that were the servants. When we talk of someone being spoiled, it is typically a victorious, conquering people. Now, can I just tell you right now, you and I may look around the world, and you and I may not be perceived as the victorious people. Can I tell you, there's victory in Jesus Christ. And we will be victorious when all is said and done. 
Here the Israelites are leaving Egypt, the picture of the world. And they are leaving not as the slaves that the Egyptians and everybody else sees them to be. No, they are leaving as a victorious people, a conquering people. And may I tell you, my friend, it will be a good day when you and I go to heaven as a conquering victorious people. They loaded them up. They spoiled them. It was like, may I kind of put it in perspective, it was just as if God said, you know what, you don't even have to worry about packing, I'll pack for you. And the Israelites were loaded up by the the Egyptians, they loaded them with gold and other things that they would eventually use for the tabernacle and the other things necessary there in the wilderness. It's such a minor part of the grand story, but I sure am thankful today, aren't you, that our God is a God of the details. Even the smallest details, the little things. So he provides for them. What I find most amazing in our study of scriptures about this story is that God had told Abraham many, many, many years before that that this exact thing would happen. Remember what God told Abraham? It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number 14. Notice it if you will. And also that nation, he's speaking to Abraham hundreds of years earlier, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And I love that. The verse before that, when God tells Abraham, listen, Abraham, and I think we saw it somewhere in a previous morning message, God told Abraham, listen, they're going to they're stay there for some 400 years. In fact, they'll be slaves for some 400 years. And you remember when Israel first went into Egypt, they weren't as slaves till a new Pharaoh came along that didn't know Joseph and so forth. So when God says they'll be there for 400 years serving Egypt and the Egyptians, he was right on. It was the exact prophecy that came to play. Now, 500, 700, maybe 800 years before, God looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation of your seed. They will go into this land, and this nation I will judge. And when they leave this nation, after 400 plus years, they will leave with great substance. And as you and I pick up in the story here in Exodus chapter 14, it's exactly what is going on. I hope that there were some religious leaders. I hope there were some historians of the Jews who, as they were leaving and walking out in this exodus from Egypt, I hope they were telling people, hey, guys, you remember what Abraham said God told him? Do you remember what our father Abraham said would happen? That what we are living right now is happening in our midst. Now, let's make it practical. Maybe the question you and I could ask even this morning is this. What will you be doing in 500 plus, 700 plus, 800 plus years? Well, I have the answer. You say, what is that, Pastor Henry? You too will be experiencing the fulfillment of God's word and promises. Everything that God has promised in his word. I don't know about you, but I know I'm not going to live some 500 years here on earth. But the day is coming where you and I will enter into eternity and everything that God has planned for us, everything that he has promised in his word, may I tell you, just like the Israelites were experiencing what God promised to Abraham on that day, the day is coming where 500 years from now, 700 years from now, 800 years from now, you and I will experience the very word of God. Our promise is coming true. The things that he says will happen to you as you and I walk this earth, and we don't see it by sight. We don't see heaven. We don't glimpse into eternity but we see it by faith. The fact is, so many years from now, you and I will be doing exactly what the Israelites were doing in this moment recorded here in Exodus. 
walking in the path of fulfilled promises. You ought to find it amazing this morning that the Jews, the promises that God made, he kept them, he fulfilled them. Can I tell you at the same time, you and I need to realize and remember we trust in the very same God who will keep his promises. The day is coming, you and I will walk in similarly in fulfilled promises. In Exodus chapter 13, the Bible tells us that the Israelites through Moses were led through what was called the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. They avoided the land of the Philistines because God had told Moses, don't go there lest they be discouraged through war, lest something were to happen and they turn back and want to run back to Egypt. He says, "Don't, don't take them that way. And so God leads them through Moses to the edge of the wilderness and to camp. He also, and they experience now some of the blessings, the grace of God. The, he, he leads them with a pillar of cloud by day. And at night it was a pillar of fire. And God said, I'm going to go before you. I will lead you in the way you ought to go in such a way. And so he did just that. And the Bible says it was a very large host. Exodus chapter 12 tells us it was 600 men, not counting the, the children, the Bible verse says. In addition to that, it was a large host of mixed multitude, Egyptians and others, and probably some who have intermarried between the Egyptians and the Jews and, and others, a mixed multitude that followed with much cattle, the Bible tells us in Exodus 12. So as we come to the, the beginning of Exodus 14, God instructs in verse number two, you can glance at it there, instructs Moses to have the people in camp in a place near the Red Sea, by the Red Sea, in a place between Migdal and the sea. It is believed Migdal was a well-known in that day a fortification, a fort, a, a watch post, if we could put it that way, an outpost where they guarded uh, Egypt from anybody coming down the Red Sea in the opening there. And so it was a well-known fortification, a well-known fort in that day, protecting that, I believe it was near the mountains or maybe even in the mountains that are close to the Red Sea. God tells him, this is where you'll stay. This is where we'll start camp or uh, breakout camp, shall we say. But when he does that, and don't miss it today, God says something very alarming. God reveals something to Moses that, that is the kind of thing that stops you in your tracks. It's the kind of thing that says, uh-oh, I wasn't expecting this. This is not good. And he shares something with Moses that was going to get their attention, if we could put it that way. Look at verse 3, if you will, with me. Exodus chapter 14. Notice what it says. For Pharaoh, God speaking to Moses here. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Okay, verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. Now jump down to the end of verse 4. Notice the last little statement. And they did so. Okay, so God is coming to Moses and the Israelites by uh, extension. He's saying to them, listen, uh, Pharaoh's going to come after you. He's not done with you. He, he, he may have been grieving his firstborn. They may have been licking their wounds, but Pharaoh's coming after you. He's going to attack you. He, you're gonna, the day's coming. You're going to look in your rearview mirror, and there's going to be Pharaoh and all his chariots in the army of Egypt. They're going to come after you. He warns Moses. Now, let me put it in perspective. When you are leading a million-plus people through an open wilderness and you have no organized or trained army and no organization to the whole kit and caboodle, this is not what you want to hear. We have a well-trained army, people who are, have vengeance on their mind, who want to wipe us off the face of the earth, coming after us. They have chariots. Guess what we have? At the most, camels. If you've never rode a camel, they're kind of slow. 
if, if that, most of the people are probably walking. This is not what you want to hear. It's the perfect picture, though, don't miss it, of our lives. How is that? Well, the reality is this. I don't know about the life you live, but the life I live and the life I observe others live is this. It's full of interruptions, inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events. Life is full of interruptions, inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events. I I don't know many people who live a life without these things. I dare say each of us have experienced it even this week. What I mean, well, things break, don't they? How many of you had something break, either in your, 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 your house this week, your garage, at work, or something? How many of you had something break? Just raise your hand. You had a break. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of hands. Accidents happen. Tires go flat. The phone rings just as you climb into bed. Traffic. Oh, let me just tell you a story about that, too. Friday night. You didn't realize our college and career had an activity? Brother Dave Cooper at their house and everything else. You know how I always tease him, you know, stay all night and so forth? I got a phone call at five minutes after midnight from Dave Cooper with all those college and career over at his house. He tried to FaceTime me. Can you believe that guy? That punk? Sad to say I was still awake, but I didn't answer it. I ignored him, so you can tell him that. Phone calls just when you're trying to go to sleep, right? Things happen, accidents, things. Uh, Have you ever been caught in traffic? When you're in a hurry to get somewhere? How about behind a slow driver? Or maybe out here behind a tractor? Or a bus? And boy, inconvenience! I mean, this is just, this is messing up my day. It's putting me back. How about unexpected illnesses that change our carefully crafted and much anticipated plans? You ever have plans and then somebody in the family gets sick? And have you ever said this at the beginning of the day? No one can get sick this week. We were tempted to say that before wild game dinner, right? <laughs> no one can get sick this week. And before other things, cantata, nobody in the choir can get sick, right? Wrap yourself in bubble wrap. Don't get hurt, don't get sick, whatever. Stay away from it. Things happen. Have you ever had said something to the effect of, well, we just don't need another expense, and all of a sudden an appliance breaks? Or a car breaks down? See, it happens to all of us. And there are scriptural examples here. I mean, here they are. Moses and the Israelites say, we're done. We're finally out of Egypt. This is wonderful. This is great. And God says, you're going to have to look in your rearview mirror soon, and what you'll see is a bunch of Egyptians following you to kill you. Can I put it this way? The reality is this. You and I cannot change it. It happens to all of us, and it won't change until we get to heaven. But there is something we can change, and that's how we respond and react to these things. Now, can I just tell you, I I would trust that you and I could be open and transparent this morning. Uh, Sometimes I just don't respond the best way to inconveniences. I I don't respond the way that I probably should to interruptions, to to things happening that are frustrating, that that, uh, interrupt my plans. They're very inconveniencing. I would dare say that there are times that many of us do not react the right way. So how do we respond? How, we, how ought we to react? Well, responding in the right way, or responding well, reacting way, it, well, it begins with reminding ourselves of the same thing that God reminds Moses of in this morning, in this moment, in the morning, the passage for our morning study. 
He comes to Moses and says, listen, they're going to follow you. And you saw that we kind of left out or skipped over the middle part of verse 4. So would you look there with me? The, the middle part of verse 4. Notice what he says. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. Now notice it. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Okay, so what is Moses being reminded of by God? It's this. Don't worry, there are eternal purposes for it all. What happens in your life, the circumstances, even the inconveniences, even the frustrations, even the unexpected events that transpire in our lives, God says, listen, I have eternal purposes for them all. There's something that can be accomplished in them and in that moment. It sounds like the worst news to Moses. I don't know about you. If I'm in Moses, you're like, this is terrible. What are we going to do? The people are going to be upset. They're going to react. How are we going to get away? We can't outrun them. We can't outfight them. Immediately, all the things would go through his human mind. And yet God is saying what? Did you catch it? Verse 4. Here's what he's saying. I will bring realization of me as God of all to the hearts of the Egyptians through it. I'm going to use this situation in your life, Moses, in the life of the Israelites. Though it's a frustration, though it's an inconvenience, though it's an unexpected event, I'm going to use it to bring glory to myself. I'm going to reveal myself as the God of all to the Egyptians through you, your circumstances. Number two, we could also put it this way. This difficult reality, it says God is saying this difficult reality will work to the advantage of bringing me, bringing God, glory and honor. Glory and honor. Look down at verse number 18, if you will. Same passage here in verse number 18, chapter 14. He reiterates the same thing. And the Egyptians shall show, shall know, excuse me, that I am the Lord. When I have gotten me honor unto Pharaoh upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Now, let's put it into practical reality for you and I as New Testament believers. Could we remind ourselves of something that we are instructed in or with in the New Testament? What is that? Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. That is exactly what God is saying here. I'm going to bring honor or glory upon myself through my interaction, what I do in your life, Moses, in the life of the Israelites. Now, let me also encourage you what 1 Corinthians 10.31 is and says. It is a truth and a reality that whatsoever you do, now I would put it this way, that is both active and it is passive. Well, you all kind of remember English and active and passive? Okay, uh, if not, I'll just real quick, this is the extent of my knowledge. Okay, active means I'm doing it. Passive, it happens to me, and then my reaction to it is most important. So whether, therefore, I eat or drink or whatsoever happens to me or whatsoever I do actively and passively in my life, uh, I need to bring glory to God in it. Sometimes we only limit this verse to the active. Well, it's just about doing. It's about doing. Well, the reality is the passage is really pointing out whatever happens in our life. Whether you and I are doing something or something happens to us in the circumstances, the interruptions, the, the inconveniences, the unexpected events that transpire in our lives, we ought to respond accordingly. So here's the first eternal purpose, if we might put it as such. The first eternal purpose for things in our life such as these. God's glory to be manifested in whatsoever happens in your life and mine. It could be the most insignificant thing that happens in your life. Can I tell you right now, don't ever forget God wants to bring himself glory through it. 
You are his child. This is his world. He is the God worthy of all glory. And so every situation, every circumstance, as as seemingly insignificant as the circumstances in your life, the inconvenience, the frustration, there is a plan, there is a purpose behind it. God wants to bring himself glory. You say, well, Pastor Henry, what if no one else, what if no one else knows about this situation? Can I tell you right now, my friend, if you dealt with something today or this week, a frustration, an inconvenience, and you handled it in a way that is honoring to God, you brought him glory. You brought him glory because you're his child. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all, use all to the glory of God. It's an eternal purpose for temporal things. Temporal things that happen. Can I tell you the past two weeks, I had one flat tire on my Suburban. I finally got the missing apart, got the spare on it. And sure enough, not a day later, guess what? Another tire went flat. Two flat tires, same vehicle. I'm running out of spares. It happens to all of us. How are you going to react? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? You say, well, flat tires. Can God really bring himself glory through flat tires? Can I tell you? He can. And he will. Every single thing. Whether it's just the reality of how are you going to react. Hey, Stephen Henry, can you handle one flat tire? Good, because I'm sending two. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to respond? You going to lose your cool? You going to set a bad testimony before your kids? Or are you going to say, you know what? All right, life happens. God's still in control. And Father, I'm going to just trust you to work things out. How will you respond? Both actively and passively. You see, the glory sometimes comes from the obvious hand of God at work in the situation. We see that in the Israelites, okay? And God's going to split the Red Sea. We'll see that in weeks to come. We see that. We understand that. That was God's hand, obviously, at work. But do you realize other times God's hand is not at work in the obvious ways? He doesn't always fix our problems, okay? I'll tell you right now, God didn't fix my flat tires. I had to take them somewhere. Now, do I believe God used it? I believe God used those people to fix it, but it wasn't some miraculous thing where I walked out the next morning and my tires were plugged and they were perfectly fine. That wasn't the case. Sometimes God's hand is obviously at work. Other times, glory for God comes from our right reaction to the circumstances. A reaction that reflects well upon our Heavenly Father, upon the God. It points others to Him. It says, wow, I mean, I'd lose my cool. I'd blow up. I, I don't know what I'd do in that situation. And yet you and I react in such a way that points to God. Both are legitimate in real ways that God gets glory from any situation in our life. We'll speak of it more in a moment. But there's another eternal purpose that we want to talk about. And Paul later speaks to the church at Corinth about in 2 Corinthians 4. He starts it out with this. I love this description, okay? I don't know how your week has gone this week. Maybe these passages describe it. Maybe it describes your life. Paul wrote, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this happens, yet not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, Cast down, but not destroyed. Now that's a great introduction. He's saying, listen, these things have happened. These things are are part and parcel of life. Inconveniences, frustrations, unexpected events, all of these have transpired. And then he writes just a few verses later. (laughs) He writes in verse number 15, notice what he writes. He says, for all things 
are for your sakes. Okay, now think about it. Here's the one coin. Before, he's saying, listen, Moses, things are happening in your life, little things, big things, believer, in your life to bring me glory. But things also happen for your sakes. Now, how in the world can being distressed and being persecuted and and being cast down, God, how are you going to work these things out? How are these things for my sake? How is it for our benefit? What's the purpose? Well, in the same verse, he answers it. He says this, there's abundant grace that is seen. The abundant grace which is given you both in salvation and in daily living now bursts on the scene. Okay, so God's going to show up. There's a passage we like to say, and I like to make it a part of my prayer sometimes. God showing himself strong on behalf of his people. God's showing up, and then we've talked before how it's wonderful when God shows up. And one of the ways he shows up is through meeting out, giving out grace for every situation. Paul found it out. My grace is sufficient for thee. The circumstance wasn't removed, the thorn in the flesh wasn't taken away, yet God's grace was found in, abound, in abundance. Okay? We have defined grace in many different ways. Even our speaker last week alluded to it. Okay? We often will define grace and salvation as God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the grace of God. He gives us grace, something we don't deserve, and yet we get it. That's grace. God's riches, that's heaven, that's eternity with him, that's salvation at Christ's expense. He paid for it on the cross. The salvation I spoke of a moment ago. He made the way. He paid the price for our sin. Okay? But there's also grace for daily living. About five years ago, we spoke a message on it. We described it this way. What is grace for daily living? It's God's resources for all circumstances and experiences. Grace is the gift that keeps on giving. It's there in salvation. We enjoy God's riches at Christ's expense. But as we go on, we live day to day, God gives out abundant grace. All his resources, what you need, everything. He meets the need. My grace is sufficient for thee. This is what Paul found out. For every circumstances and every experience, abundant grace flows. The same was true for the Israelites, isn't it? God delivered them from Egypt. That's grace in display, in action. God not only delivered them from Egypt. What did we just read? They spoiled the Egyptians as they're leaving. Here, take this and take this. Hey, would you just take this? Take this silver and this gold and this raiment. And they're leaving Egypt, and it's like they've gone to the Walmart of Egypt. They're leaving with their bags full. God has shown his grace. They get into the wilderness, and someone's like, where are we going? What are we doing? Which way do we need to head? And all of a sudden, God provides what? A pillar of a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And wherever it goes, they follow. And God says, I'll lead you, I'll protect you. That is God's grace in that situation. And may I just tell you, in just a few verses, in just a little bit of time, God's grace is going to be on display in one of the most miraculous ways with the parting of the Red Sea. Look at verse number 13, Exodus chapter 14. Notice what God says here. And I, great truth. He says this. Moses said unto all the people, God speaking through Moses, Fear ye not, stand still, and see, see what? See the salvation of the Lord. Grace is going to bring deliverance, which he will show to you today. Yes, this is an inconvenience. Yes, this is a frustration. Yes, this is an unexpected event, but I'm going to show you grace. Uh, In this case, he's going to deliver them. Notice the rest of the verse in verse 13. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, shall ye see them again no more forever. I'll tell you, that's some comforting grace. 
I'm going to deliver you, and this will be the last time you have to worry about the Egyptians. <laughs> you won't ever see them in your rearview mirror again. They won't ever pester you. You won't ever have to fear the Egyptians again. Grace. Grace given. You think about it, and this grace is displayed and showed and will be seen at the Red Sea here in a moment. This same grace that we all enjoy in our lives, it ought to be a spring from which thanksgiving should erupt. Now, think about it. This grace that is very real, not only in this circumstance with Israel, but in our lives at the same time, it accomplishes um, the other purposes or the other purpose for the happening of our lives. Grace is given to you and I in these circumstances. He, he, just, he hands it out, but also then God's glory is found. He is exalted. Paul would come to this culmination in verse number, um, you see it here, verse number 15 of the same passage, okay? And let's back up a second here. You see the statement here, okay? Uh, The second eternal purpose. Things happen in this life, okay? Things happen in this life to open the door for each one of us to receive and enjoy God's grace. So first eternal purpose, God gets the glory. Second eternal purpose for everything that happens in your life, God wants to mete out grace, in fact, I would put it this way if we could describe it as such, okay? Things happen in this life to open the door for us, okay? They open the door for each one of us to receive and enjoy God's grace. This is the second eternal purpose. The abundant grace flows. And then we bring him glory. Now, look at this verse, as I mentioned before, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. We read that, that the abundant grace through might, might through the thanksgiving of men, many, redound to the glory of God. Okay? Redound. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Okay. But notice what he says. All these things happen. Distress, persecutions, uh, inconveniences, frustrations in your life. All of these things are for your sake. Well, why are they for our sake, Paul? Number one, it's going to bring glory to God. Number two, abundant grace can be seen. The abundant grace through the thanksgiving of all can redound to the glory of God. Now, this term redound, it's uh, only used here, I believe, in the Scripture. It literally means abound or abundance. In fact, this Greek word is defined as abound or abundance more so than anything else. It means literally to abound, okay? I like the meaning of this old Greek word, though, that the King James translators use here. The old word, this old English word, redound, it literally means to abound like this or to overflow. It fills up everything. It just, it's everywhere. It abounds, it overflows, both the grace and the glory of God. In every circumstance, in every happenstance, it abounds and it overflows. So we are told that, through the daily grace we enjoy in every circumstance and experience, we should endeavor for God's glory to abound in overflow. Literally the word to redound. Okay, God, whatever the circumstance is I face this week, and it can be an inconvenience, a frustration, an unexpected event, Lord, help me not to react in the flesh. Help me not to react in, oh, I can't believe this. Why is this happening to me? I can't handle this today. Of all days, you ever say that? Sometimes I think that invites a lesson on patience, Amen. And trust in God. Of all days, why does this have to happen to me today? And the reality is God says, listen, I have eternal purposes for it. You don't see it in the temporal world. You don't always get a glimpse of these two eternal purposes, but they're always there. Number one, I'm going to give you grace no matter what you face. I will give you grace no matter what you face. It's going to come. The abundant, abounding grace in your life and mine. I don't know about you today, but I sure am thankful for the grace of God. 
Even the smallest things, the biggest things, the things that happen, the inconveniences, the frustration, God gives grace. And then he says, when that grace shows up, it is a perfect opportunity for you and I then to reveal and to show God's glory. That event, God can get glory from it. And how you respond and how you react to the things of life. When I think of this word redound, it's a great picture it's like it's overflowing, it's abundant, it's everywhere, okay? When I was a kid, um, I had a collection of bouncy balls. How many of you like bouncy balls? You like bouncy balls? Some of you? Great, I like bouncy balls. Okay, I had a collection, okay? And uh, uh, have you ever watched a kid get a bouncy ball? In our Sunday night things that we give out, there's bouncy balls typically, and I always find it humorous to watch the children afterwards. You ever seen a kid let go of his bouncy ball and can't get it back? They can't corral it. It's bouncing everywhere. It's bouncing down the hallway. And they're like, ah, and they're freaking out because it's just everywhere. And you don't know where it's bouncing, where it's going, what's going to happen, okay? Well, a long time ago, that gave me a great idea. And so I've done it before with children. I took them into a gymnasium, and I took about 250 bouncy balls. And there was a simple game. It was a simple task. I was saying, I'm going to throw it all up. We're going to time you how quickly you can get all the bouncy balls back in this container. 250 bouncy balls in a gymnasium. I threw them up, and I will tell you, it was one of the most entertaining things of my life. (laughs) Bouncy balls going everywhere, here and there and everywhere. They're bouncing. The kids are going after them, trying to collect them and pick them up. And and once they think they got one, it's bouncing there. And and they did the, here, catch. I'm like, oh, that is a bad decision, right? And and, uh, put it away, and it's going everywhere. Here and there and everywhere. The gym was overflowing with bouncy balls. Now think about it. This week, there will be interruptions, inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events that happen in our lives here, there, and everywhere. And yet they have a purpose. That God's glory can be seen here, there, and everywhere. Not only His glory, but the reality is His grace will be dispensed in every one of those circumstances. You can't be everywhere this week. I can't be everywhere this week. But do you realize how many places we all can be individually and in every single circumstance and every single event, you and I can bring glory to God. We can reflect on the God of all creation. Here and there and Cairo and Mayville and Millington and Vassar and Columbiaville and North Branch and wherever you work, wherever you go, whatever store you find yourself in, when things happen, we can reveal the glory of God. We can point to him here and there and everywhere. His glory can be seen. He can be honored. All of us together in so many different places this week, every one of us can bring glory to God uh, in every one of our circumstances and experiences, wherever we are. But it's dependent upon our response to unwanted circumstances and experiences of life. See, the right response it starts with reminding ourselves there's eternal purposes to everything. Bring God glory and that grace can abound in my life and my situation. In Exodus chapter 14, we read those last few words there in that verse, verse 14, and they did so. And they did so. The Egyptians came after them. The Israelites looked up and they saw what what was happening. And these same Jews that walked by faith and leaving Egypt, they began to stumble in their faith. As they saw the Egyptians in the rearview mirror, they're right on their heels 
Look with me, if you will, here in chapter 14. Look at verse 10. Notice what it says about these Israelites. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. I love that statement, cries out to them. You talk about faith faltering when life throws a curveball. This is a prime example. Now, I have you see this morning real quickly, we're going to see how Paul would describe such actions, the, the response and the reaction by looking at the passage we reference here in a moment in the New Testament. Would you turn real quickly, and we'll be done in just a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. If you'll turn with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. We pick up in this verse that I have referenced here a moment ago, and I want you to see verse 15 and 16. Okay, verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, this is the verse we read, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I love this description. Okay, so if Paul were describing what the Israelites did in Exodus chapter 14, they looked, the, Israel, the Egyptians drew near. Now we're freaking out. If we were to read the other passage, we'll see they questioned, uh, they questioned Moses, why'd you bring us here? We could have died there. We told you back there. This is not going to turn out well. This is not going to go well. And, and their reaction was based upon what they saw. So how would Paul have described that? Verse 16 shows us, okay? Look at verse 16. How would he describe what they were doing? Well, simply, they fainted. They fainted. He says, we don't faint because of these truths that we understand. And literally, we would say this. They fainted in their faith. They fainted in their faith, okay? Um, First of all, if we're going to have the right reaction, we remember the eternal purposes behind all. Number two, secondly, we... (laughs) Don't let our faith faint. He says we don't faint. We faint not. What does it mean to faint? What does it mean to faint? Well, scripturally speaking, the word used here would be defined in this way. To be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, exhausted, to fail, to falter. That's kind of the scriptural definition of the word here in that sense. When we think of someone that faints... What two things happen? Okay, we've probably all known somebody that, that has fainted, whether dehydration or something else. What happens when someone faints? Well, first of all, someone loses what? Control. They lose control, right? Lose control of their body. They're standing. The next moment, they're not standing, right? They're on the ground or whatever the case may be. They're falling down. Number two, what often happens? Someone loses consciousness. Okay, they faint. They, they, they lose it for just a second and just a moment. They faint. Maybe hit the ground. Maybe it's longer, whatever the case may, may be. If, if but for a moment, when we think of fainting, the reality is someone loses, don't miss it, loses control, and they lose, it, they lose consciousness. Now, I don't know about you. When I think of fainting, something that I've been exposed to just a little while ago, a few years back, is the first thing I, that I think of. Have you ever seen a fainting goat? Have you ever seen it? I mean, it's the most hilarious thing ever if you've seen a goat that faints. Now, I'll tell you, if I was a cruel person, I'd have a pet fainting goat just for fun. Say, what's a, what's a fainting goat, okay? Well, there is one video that has become my favorite of fainting goats. Okay, so you, you want to watch right behind the UPS truck. I'll tell you, this, this guy, this UPS driver is the luckiest driver ever. 
for what he gets to do, okay? Right behind this, I'll play in just a second, right behind this UPS truck, okay? So over there on that side, you'll see goats, okay? Notice what happens in the video here. <laughs> How can you not love that? Okay, I, I, you know what? For some of you that just missed it, oh, Take me back, play the video again. Where's your Rebecca? My thing's not working, okay? So, so watch it. I love the one who is not as scared as the other. He only falls to his knees. Notice the bigger one. He only falls to his knees. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Okay, now let me just assure you, no goats were harmed in the filming of this clip, okay? For those of you who are scared about that, okay? That, what's so funny about... Okay, we'll get it back. Take me to the next slide, please, so I'm not superseded. By, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Okay, now think about it. Now think about it. Let's put it in terms. What happened to the goats? The same thing we said, what happens in faith, okay? Somebody loses control, they lose consciousness. Now, that is a great example of our faith, fainting. What do you mean by that? Listen to what Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. He says this, For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against him. Notice it. Lest ye be wearied and what? Faint in your mind. Have you ever seen someone faint in their mind? No, you, you haven't seen it. Maybe you have observed it after the fact. He's referring to what? He's referring to a spiritual fainting. He's referring, referring to faith fainting, if we could put it this way. Let me put it in terms of this that you and I can understand. When life throws a sudden turn, when life becomes inconvenient or frustrating, our faith loses control in our lives, and we live by sight, not by faith. How does, faint, how does faith faint? How do we faint in our minds? When we lose hold of our faith. And our faith loses control of your life and my life. And we react and respond not by looking on the eternal, not by seeing by faith and walking by faith, but we walk by sight. And that's when faith faints. Furthermore, you know when faith faints? It faints when our, our faith loses consciousness. Consciousness of what? Our consciousness of the ultimate and eternal reasons and purposes behind all that happens in our life. When I lose sight of, yes, a flat tire, a broken appliance is an occasion for God to get the glory. It is an occasion for the grace of God to be given to me in my life. We lose consciousness of the reality that God wants to use it. And instead, what do we dwell upon? We dwell upon the temporal the things that are inconveniences and interruptions, the disrupted plans and desires. When that happens, our faith faints, as it did in the hearts and the heads of the Jews that day in Exodus 14. But when you and I remember, we don't allow ourselves to become unconscious of the purpose of everyday happenings, of the things in our life. When you and I look for the grace of God bestowed, shed abroad in those circumstances, and we desire everything to bring God glory, then it will help you and I to not faint in our faith. Look here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, quickly, we read verse 4, 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day, we are strengthened and encouraged. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it is temporal, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's doing something for us. I love the terminology. He started out verse number 15, he's, or, uh, verse 16, for which cause? In other words, because of these things, you and I can resist our faith fainting. 
No matter what happens to you today, this week, the interruptions, the inconveniences, the unexpected events, no matter what transpires in your life, you and I can resist having our faith faint by remembering the truths of the eternal purposes of God. He goes on in verse 17. He says what? It will work for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Our reaction is really all dependent upon where our faith looks. Look at verse number 18 quickly and we'll be done. Verse 18. While we look not. It's all about where your faith looks. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Literally, you and I, we look not on, we, we don't dwell on the temporal interruptions, frustrations, inconveniences, and unexpected events of our lives, but whether we dwell upon the invisible, eternal purposes of God. Every circumstance, every event in my life, Father, help me to always see the eternal, the eternal purposes. Let me allow that grace to be experienced and enjoyed. Father, help me to bring you glory. So if I were to quickly, and I love this, but rather we dwell upon the eternal purpose and profit. It is for my, exceed, for my exceeding weight of glory. If I could just say today's takeaways, it'd simply be this. Number one, don't let your faith faint. Maybe you're right now in the midst of a very frustrating, inconveniencing situation, and your faith is starting to faint. Your faith is no longer in control. You're seeing more by sight Don't let your faith faint. How do we do that? Well, we see the eternal and don't dwell on the temporal. Okay, Father, I don't don't always see the purposes or how you're going to bring about your purposes, fulfill your purposes, but God, you want to give me grace and you want to bring yourself glory in all of this. So, Father, just help me to trust that. Help me to see the eternal, not the temporal. Okay? When life brings interruptions and inconveniences, unexpected circumstances, be conscious in the moment of the eternal purposes. Think about them. Dwell upon them. Consider them. Father, you have eternal purposes. There's an open door for grace, and there's a ready display of your glory. So, Father, help me to think on those. Be conscious of those. Help me not to faint in my faith. And then number two and last thing, keep your faith in the driver's seat. Keep your faith in the driver's seat. Operate with faith at the controls. Don't let circumstances, interruptions, and conveniences remove faith from the driver's seat of your life. No matter how disappointing, unexpected the circumstance is, can I just encourage you, keep your faith in control. My friend, don't let your faith faint. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful for it. And Lord, such great truths that we have derived from your word that your Holy Spirit has revealed to us here in Exodus. And Father, in the passages in 2 Corinthians 14, we are grateful for these truths. And Lord, this, this is real for all of us. This is everyday living in our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, exhort us, encourage us this day. That we would not allow our faith to faint. That Father, we would keep our eyes. We would look upon the eternal, not the temporal, when these things happen. And Father, I pray that we would work hard at keeping our faith in control. We would not allow circumstances and frustrations to remove our faith from the driver's seat. Lord, I don't know what this week holds. I I don't know who will face what. But Father, I pray we would allow our faith to stay in control. Help us not to faint in our faith. And through it all, may we bring you glory. The one to whom all glory is due, may our lives reflect your glory. Point others to you in everything that happens. With heads bowed and eyes closed,